neurodiversity has become a hot topic of conversation, especially within the workplace. Professor Jill Bennett from the University of New South Wales states that neurodiversity has become a cultural movement which enables inclusion. It's grounded in the idea that there are variations in the human genome. But what does that actually mean? And what does that mean for people who have dyslexia? Today's guest speaker and I have explored the differences between what neurodiverse and neurotypical really means. Our guest speaker is Professor Eleanor Laconio, and she's speaking with me all the way from Boston. Eleanor is the Professor of Information Technology and Data Science at Worcester Polytech Institute. She is the founder and director of the Inclusion, Design and Accessibility Hub at the Institute which was established in 2018 to address the needs of people with different abilities across technologies and environments. I'd like to welcome to the show today, Eleanor. She's dialed all the way in from Boston. Welcome, Eleanor. Thank you, Shay. It's great to be here. So, um, Eleanor, you work, you work as a professor in information technology and data science at the Polytech Institute. Can you please mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about your role there? So I'm um, a professor of IT, like as you mentioned, and data science. Um, I teach. I also do research. Um, and one of the great things about where I'm at at Worcester Polytech Institute is that we're a project-based curriculum. So I get to work with students a lot, both at the undergraduate and graduate level. Um, and to me, the best part of that is that I get to share a lot of my interest with working with uh, neurodiversity and on the topic of neurodiversity or people with disabilities um, and to, to get like a whole new generation interested in, in um, thinking about how they can change their workplace and help people with uh, disabilities and that. So to me, that's one of the, the best parts of of my job is being able to kind of transfer and, and bring along students who are uh, new and haven't heard of neurodiversity and thought about this in, in, in a new way. Um, and so yeah, that's just to me, that's one of the more exciting parts of my job. I'm sitting here nodding my head. You can't see me at the moment. Okay. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Uh, I came across your, an article written about you because you were talking about neurodiversity and then I was actually invited to present at a um, symposium recently in another mm -hmm. state around neurodiversity and it's not a, a word that I have really used a lot when I think about myself being dyslexic but um, a lady mm -hmm. that I'd listened to in Australia was talking about it saying that it's really a cultural movement and I really feel like it is becoming a cultural movement because they're putting people with autism, dyslexia, or ADHD um, into this neurodiversity category. Um, what does it mean to you, that term? Mm -hmm. So I think, like you said, I, I think of it more broadly. Um, I think it started with really looking at autism, the autism spectrum, uh, and has kind of grown. And I, I really like the fact that it's grown to include more because I think, um, when we talk about people, you know, everybody thinks differently a little, right? And, and so, and so what, is, what is typical? I mean, when we've seen that, I've seen that in my research that I oftentimes, when I would do research in this area, 
would get comments back, well, that's not the typical user, or that's not the typical consumer. And, and really, you know, who is the typical consumer or user anymore? Um, we all have differences and think differently. And, and so I like this broad definition, because I also think it takes us from looking at things in a medical model, which has often been, you know, things are a deficiency or, um, you know, there's, there's some disability to something as opposed to looking at the social model, which really looks at how something can actually be a benefit um, and, and what people do that, are, that um, comes from, their, from being dyslexic or, or having autism spectrum disorder, but um, really helps them in a sense. And so I can give you some examples. Um, you know, for example, if you look at stats, one in three entrepreneurs has ADHD. Right, there's something about that that is, is helping people really be thinking about creative ideas and being innovative. Um, and so to, I think to only look at the deficiency of something, what, what challenges somebody, and not necessarily what may also help them or, or things that they learn because of it, um, it, it does a disservice. I think in, in society we don't, you know, if you frame things in a negative way, then you limit. And if you frame things in um, even a more neutral or, or positive way, then, then you set people up to succeed instead of feeling like they're, they're going to fail at what they try. So to me, I, I think it's a great way of looking at things, again, not medical disability, but really uh, from a society or social way that it's, it's, we're, everybody's a little bit different in how they think things. Yeah, and there's so many things now after you've said that that I want to ask you. I'm trying to write them down so I have them in a logical, sure. <laughs> logical order because um, in our family there's uh, a number of us that are now neurodiverse and there are a number of us that are neurotypical and my mm -hmm. partner's neurotypical and we get into, I call them arguments, he says discussions <laughs> um, around this diversity because that's we are all different and so we have this discussion around, you know, that... Because he says, well, just because you're dyslexic doesn't mean, you know, that there's, you know, because everyone's different. So everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. And he's right. And for us, I think it's around that advocacy of when that um, difference starts to disempower you or disengage or disconnect you from what you're trying to do, that it becomes an issue. Because mm -hmm. at the moment, I think in Australia, we're using the medical model. Um, mm -hmm. I love that you've used the term social model because as a public health practitioner, that's what we try to look at. But... Um, we're using that medical model to try and raise awareness because there's such a lack of it in Australia at the moment. And if you don't have a disability, then you don't get mm -hmm. any support in the workplace. Um, but then and it's a hard balance because we want to see the positive. And what I wanted to ask you was, what is the research around yeah. us being different in that positive sense? Because a lot of people say that dyslexics are, you know, we're higher rates of, <coughs> Some of the entrepreneurs or... You know, we're better at problem solving or yeah so well, yeah that's exactly right so a lot of the you know so one of the things that um, in the, the article that I talk about um, is the fact that there's research that shows you know companies are worried about groupthink right which is mm -hmm. everybody jumps on board and okay we're going to go with this idea and so for example people on the autism spectrum um you know one of the advantages there is they're, they're really they think things through um and i'm not and 
if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism, right? It's, yep. it's not that you've met, you know, that everybody who is on the autism spectrum is the same. It's a spectrum and therefore it's different. But, um, and really being able to kind of question and think through logically, well, that, you know, it doesn't make sense to me, explain it. Right. And that's really valuable because it's, it keeps people, if you're trying to be creative, you're trying to be innovative, you, you're, but yet you're still trying to make sure that um, the, whatever solution you come up with is going to work. You want people who are going to question that what you came up with, right. And make sure that there's no holes in it or that, that it makes sense. And so they found that that's actually one positive is that you, you get away from this groupthink mentality that can be really dangerous for companies to just, or teams to just go down a path that really um, they should have really thought through a little bit more. Um, there's, there's the literature on um, people with ADHD and, um, auto, or, and entrepreneurship. Um, there's also one of the things that I've, I've seen too is um, people who are dyslexic and um, have you know, problems with, with kind of sometimes reading things and, and being able to process in that way have been very good at picking teams to work with, right? So one of the interesting things is if you have something that um, you need to feel like you have to kind of somewhat compensate for, you have to figure out how, you know, if this is something that I have to deal with, then picking the people around you to be able to support um, where, where you may have difficulty, right? And, and where mm -hmm. their strengths are. And so there's been some, uh, I can't remember exactly what that research is, but looking at picking that, picking teams and being able to do a really good job um, in that area. Well, that's they, really interesting because that's how I try to recruit. And I can't say I'm, I'm perfect at recruiting teams yet. It's a skill I'm still developing. But that's mm -hmm. when I recruit for um, people in my team. That's in my back of my head. I'm always thinking, how does this, how can this person work with me? Because I'm such a big thinker as well and I'm not the mm -hmm. most organised. So it's like trying to get people that where you can build those strengths and work as a strength-based approach, um, which is really exactly. important. Right, exactly. So with, have you seen much uh, research at the moment around neurodiversity and dyslexia and our strengths or has it because in Australia it seems to be more around um, autism at the moment and ADHD rather than and dyslexia is just starting to come into the fold of that mm -hmm. um, term is that what you found in America yes, yes. so it's a, it's very similar I think um, because it, just to kind of echo back to what you were talking about before I think um, you know in order to get especially for, for children in schools, right? In order to get help or to get services that um, would be helpful, uh, you have to say you have a disability, right? It has to be in that medical model terms. And so for one, I think that that's the, the US and, the, and Australia seem to be very similar in terms of how they, or they're looking at this. Um, and in terms of your other, you know, your question right now about the dyslexia and that, I, I do think that, um, autism, the ASD, autism spectrum disorder, um, that that has been the focus. And that's really where I think neurodiversity came out of. And, but I think now it is starting to expand and um, encompass additional like dyslexia and, and um, 
dyspraxia and that. And I mean, I've seen to where it's been taken as broad and, and I think this might actually be a good thing looking at mental health um, issues in, the, in people who have you know anxiety, depression and things like that, because I think it is, um, I think it, we need to be thinking about things a little bit differently and, and more that social model as opposed to the medical model. I think, you know, my word is when we, when we have a legal system and I'm, you know, not sure in Australia, but I know in the U S that that becomes one of the things is how you define things um, and how you ensure that um, things are covered. Right. So if you have a disability or you have something then then it's covered legally um, so a lot of these yeah. terms, I think, are, are, are a pro you know, it's, it's kind of, it's a little bit messy right now. I'll just say that. And I think yeah, that people it, are trying to figure that out. It is messy because, I mean, in Australia, unless you've got that hard, proper diagnosis, um, you're not really protected in the workplace because if you're discriminated mm -hmm. against, um, if you disclose and then you're discriminated against, if you can't do anything unless you can prove that you've got this learning disability. And even still, uh, apart from the Human Rights Act, there's not a huge amount of protection for us in the workplace at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're, we're drawn back to that medical model um, to kind of support us and to give us the leverage right. we need to then protect us in the workplace, I guess. Mm -hmm. But it's, and I, and I, you know, it's very difficult. I mean, one of the things when I was, looking at this and, and, um, and I have family members who are on the autism spectrum and, and looking at, you know, going through school and it, it's, it's a, you know, it's making you frame it in a way that may not be the, the healthiest for you mentally. Right. And, and mm. so to be talking about, you know, you're strong, you're able to do this. Um, you know, like we may have to think of a different way, um, and I've done this with, with family members, you know, you may have to think of a different way of kind of getting something done, but that's a strength, you know what I mean? Having, it's not just come easy for you. And I think that it's hard because yes, we need the medical model there right now for the legal system to be able to say, okay, this is what you deserve to, to be able to get and, and you, you get it. Um, but it can do some disservice to people in the way that they think of things because they're thinking of the, themselves as disabled as opposed to, okay, it's just, it's, we, have, we got to deal with this a different way. Yeah. It, yeah, it is hard because you don't think of yourself disabled, but I do see myself um, as having been disadvantaged sometimes because either people right. don't understand me or I can't quite access what I need. And I think that's the problem at the moment is within Australia, children aren't getting assessed early enough they don't have a lot of access to interventions. Their parents have to pay a lot of money. And mm -hmm. so there's still that um, big disadvantage that we're facing. So for me, I find it really hard to see it as strengths because a lot of things coming in Australia at the moment are people talking about that we're gifted or we've got all these amazing strengths. And so for me, it's around how do we measure that or how can we research that to say, actually, we are really good problem solvers because we use our left brain a lot more than our right brain or mm -hmm. how, how are we able to measure that those strengths so then you can go to the workplace and say it's concrete evidence that we have these strengths does that make sense mm -hmm. yeah no like exactly. people can build yeah. on those strengths and focus on them more and I think that's one of the things you mentioned about going into the workplace and I think one of the things that I've seen in the <clears throat> in the research is that um you know 
the interview is the typical way mm. that people, people get evaluated, right. Or decided if they're going to be hired. And so the one thing is, is that oftentimes people go in and there's these, um, biases, right? Implicit biases that, okay, I want somebody who's like me, right? And, and you're kind of looking to see, whereas actually a company would do better if there's different people. You don't want everybody to be the same. You want people to be a little bit different. Um, and, and so the interview process, thinking about how would you, how could we change that? Because sometimes if you're looking specifically at people on the autism spectrum, uh, people with high anxiety, they could be really good but in that particular situation and that form of evaluation um, is very stressful, right? Mm. And so, so can you do, and my research talks a little bit about how companies are looking at um, internships and trials, you know, where, where people come in or um, potential employees come in and they work with the teams and so that the teams get to see how they work, that they are, you know, that in a more easy environment. And I know places, and one of the companies that I interviewed, um, they actually have a, a autism at work program or a program that does, you know, looks at people with autism and bringing them in. And there were people who, you know, they would look at through the typical interview process and never hire. And then they'd go in through that program and, people would be fighting over trying to get these people into their teams. So I think we have a long way to go in terms of switching from interviewing, but I think, you know, the companies are at least starting to think about these different ways of onboarding people and getting people um, interviewing and, and um, recruitment and things like that. I don't know what it's like in America, but I know in um, my industry in health, we have to do what's called a selection criteria. So there's a set of questions that you have to um, answer when you put your mm -hmm. CV in for a job. Mm -hmm. And so even, I mean, for a lot of people that have uh, dyslexia or dysgraphia, so writing um, difficulties, even just getting to an interview, there's already that barrier because they've got to write and address a set of questions that they might not be able to put mm -hmm. on paper, but they could articulate if they had the opportunity to go and see someone face to face. Right. So right. for us, it's even you know, removing that barrier would make a huge difference, I think, um, for people. Right. Right. And that's where some of, you know, that's where the technology could really be helpful mm. in allowing, you know, um, Zoom or, or some type of conferencing call where you can actually talk to somebody. Uh, whereas in other instances, you know, allowing it to be non-face-to-face, -face, which could be stressful to some people. I mean, you know, having, having some standards, but a little bit of movement within that would be helpful to a lot of people. And America, are people more likely to disclose um, that they've got autism or dyslexia um, in the workplace or is it something that's not hugely discussed yet? So it's a great question because we just did um, a, a study I did with some students looking at students um, and, and they were interviewing students who had were affiliated with um, our group on campus and some other and then uh, another university with um, disabilities, people who had disabilities or students who had disabilities and looking at if they were, if they had disclosed when they did like internships 
if they, when they were going into the workforce, if they were likely to disclose when they were going to go interview and, and um, start looking for a job. And it was really interesting because it really was, did they see some advantage to it? Um, and that was one of the big things because what, what the companies, we also talked to some companies and what the companies are saying is if we can get people to disclose and, you know, we hire, we hire this person, we can get somebody to disclose, then we can provide them with accommodations and things that they may need, right? We can be more supportive because now that, now that we've hired them, we want them to be successful and we want to be able to keep them. Um, and so disclosing became to them this, you know, if we don't understand what they need, if they don't disclose, then we can't help them as much. Mm. Um, but the students that were, like, we spoke to really were still, you know, it, what they wanted to do, and this is some interesting things, they were more likely if they saw themselves, uh, if, if in the marketing and the way that the company presented themselves, especially like on the website, um, and in the in the way that the, um, advertising the company, they saw themselves in there, in there, and they felt that they were more um, opening to pe or open to people who may have different abilities. Uh, and so that was, you know, one thing that would encourage them if they felt that the so if they felt safe, then they were more likely to to disclose. Um, but I think right now they're still an issue of people saying, you know, once I can't take it back. So once I disclose, I can't take it back, but I can always disclose at a later date. Mm. Um, yeah. It's interesting you say that because in, when we apply for jobs, um, there's a health check thing and you're supposed to disclose if you have a disability or you've got uh, mental health issues or, you know, you tick a box. Is there anything that's going to impact on your ability to do the job? And I never tick that box because I'm too scared that, you know, by ticking that mm -hmm. box, they're going to be questioning, well, what's wrong with this person? And so it always mm -hmm. takes me a good few months to demonstrate my ability before I openly disclose why right. I have certain right. challenges. Um, because, mm -hmm. And I've just um, done my first lot of research through my PhD and only 57% of the people that we interviewed, it was only a small sample size of 65 Mm -hmm. that um, only 57% would disclose to the workplace that they had mm -hmm. dyslexia. Oh, that's, and that's, that's probably high, I, mm. I'm thinking, from, from what I've seen and, and heard from people. Um, it, it, and I think companies are at least trying to, or, or certain companies, not all companies, but you know, I think certain companies are realizing if we want to keep our talent pool, um, we, we, have to be, we have to know what people need and we have to be willing to provide a safe environment for them to tell us. Yeah. But I, I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> no, I don't think we are either. Hopefully in my lifetime, I see that change happen. Yeah. Um, if people do disclose in the workplace, do, they, do you find that they're well supported um, once they're up and running? Is it mainly that they just need assisted technology or a quiet space mm -hmm. if they've got autism? Um, I think some companies, so one of the things I'll have to, I, I would say is, you know, a lot of the bigger companies are trying. So they, a lot of them are going and trying to create like autism at work programs. Um, and so they're, they're starting to, um, but again, that also means that they have to have people feel safe 
in terms, you know, so it's, it's one thing if you have an autism at work program where you're bringing people in, that's very clear, you know, that they, they have autism and that, you know, they're going through this program. But I think what some people think as these people are coming through um, is, well, you know, I, I had to go through the regular recruitment and I had, you know, and I may be dyslexic or my, I may have dyspraxia in that. And so, um, you know, I need, a com- I, I would like accommodations too, or, so it, it, I think that um, companies are, are starting to, to get better at that. They're starting to have affinity groups that, and they're starting to do some training of managers. Um, I think right now companies are looking at it though too, like there's so many different types of groups that they would need, you know, there's mm. dyslexic, <laughs> there's autism and, you know, and so to that could be very, what do we do? Because they're used to standardizing practices, right? We have one standardized practice and that's the way we do it. Um, but I do think that they, you know, they're, some companies are trying. And so they do have accommodations. I actually have a, a PhD student of mine who's looking at the accommodation process and how different companies handle it because it, it can be very <clears throat> difficult for companies to find a standardized practice that can be applied to different different um, abilities so you know how do we make sure if we come up with assistive technology or we have a if we have a solution that let's say is in, in um, a division in Australia that we can ensure that somebody who comes with a, that same concern and need in the United States that we can share that information right that I think is a little bit more difficult And I think a lot of the changes or adjustments in the workplace, the majority of them would benefit everyone, like having a quiet space to go and work or the flexibility to work from home or Mm -hmm. um, like we, my work um, put Grammarly on everyone's computers for them after I asked if I could have access to it. Um, So Mm -hmm. that because everyone can have some support with their literacy skills, everyone's literacy skills and ability to write in the workplace is different. So I think some of the Mm -hmm. modifications are, um, are beneficial to everybody in the workplace. Yeah, actually, than... when I, yeah, no, when, when um, in the research that I did, one of the interesting things that kept coming up again and again is people would say, and these are executives who have helped create programs and that, is that, uh, you know, what we found is that it's just best practice. Like, Mm-hmm. You know, if a manager, the things that people were asking the managers to do were just simply best practices. If you're going to create an agenda, can we kind of you know, stick to the agenda? Um, <clears throat> can we have minutes? So, okay, if we're done with the meeting, okay, let's send out and summarize and say, okay, this is what everybody's going to do or everybody agreed to do. Um, so it was, it was things that you would be telling managers, this is best practice, but they didn't always, you know, feel they had the time or they're like, oh, you know, why do that, right? So now just following best practices will help all of their workers. Mm. And uh, do you think there's um, specific qualities that the workplace could uh, do outside of what we just talked about to make it more inclusive for people? Or do you think it really is just best practice? Well, I do, no, I do think that there's more. Um, I think manager training is is important um you've seen companies even i know like walgreens does a um has taken a, a 
great initiative to kind of do manager training, just to kind of understand not only the best practices, but how to look at, um, so for example, one of the things I'm thinking of right now is, is you know, just because somebody, if somebody is hired on, um, you always want to think about their path, right? Their growth with the organization. And it's not just simply, okay, let's give somebody a job, but it's how can we create a path for them to grow within the organization? Um, and I think that's something that when I've talked to some people who, who have um, family members in like with Walgreens and it, I'm not getting paid by Walgreens to say this, this is just an example that I've heard a, a lot about is that, um, you know, they, they, they're very supported and they look for kind of talking about how they can grow within there. So they, they don't look at just, okay, we've hired you. So now you could just stagnate out there. Yeah. And I think that's one of the important things is, is managerial training, having some affinity groups because affinity groups, I think also help managers who might have a question like, well, how do I deal with this? You know, I'm running into this issue. And so they can ask in essence experts, right. And so what is an how should I do with this? Sorry, what is an affinity group? I haven't heard of that term oh, sorry. before. Sorry, yeah. So an affinity group would, would be a, uh, a group of people who have something in common. So a lot of times affinity groups could be um, around people who have autism. Um, it could be people who have dyslexia, dyspraxia. Um, it, it could also be in, on companies. It could be working parents, right? So whatever the the employees would like to start an affinity group around. Uh, but it all, you know, so it's helpful that people can get together and talk about issues that they're facing and see, are they alone, right? Are, are other people facing the same thing? Um, and maybe they can then, either they feel more confident in saying, well, hey, I'd like to do, you know, I need this accommodation. Or as a group or through that affinity group, it could be brought to the attention of the organization. So, so that it's, means it's kind of go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So that means that are you would it be like a neurodiversity infinity group because then people would have to disclose, wouldn't they? So is it like a closed group and no one knows who's in it, or it's where you can it's it's okay and safe to be um, open and disclose uh, what your yeah. diversity might be. So it could it could be any of those depending on how they set it up. A lot of times they're closed groups, so you can. Um, you can be part of it and it could be that you, you know, somebody's in charge of, of it. Um, and it could be you're a parent of somebody who's neurodiverse. Usually, it, usually I would think they're even a little bit more specific than neurodiverse. I think it would be on, a, you know, dyslexic or mm -hmm. uh, autism so that it's a little bit more fine grained. Um, but it could be closed. It could be open. Uh, it really depends on how they want to set it up. It's usually employee driven. Yeah, employee driven. Um, the employer kind of sets it up, but it allows the employees usually to manage it. And so it, it's really meant as a support. Uh, but what I found is I've heard people say, you know, it's not only a support for the people who are part of it, it could be support for the managers as well. And the other thing is um, it could be set up where you don't necessarily have to be dyslexic or on the autism spectrum. It could be that you have a child who is, and so you want to be part of the group so that you, you can help share information and get information. Hmm, fantastic. We'll have to bring those into the Australian workplace. 
<laughs> yeah. Having, there's more and more organisations who are setting up inclusion and diversity um, committees or groups mm-hmm. within their organisations that are trying to uh, look at how they better support staff that are neurodiverse. And I think a lot of it still at the moment is focused on autism here as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I think for us that's a good step, but I'd never heard of that term before. So thank you for um, Yeah, explaining. I think it could be different, different terms could be used. That's just something mm. I've heard more, more okay. often. So your, um, the research I read was around neurodiversity in the workplace, but you've also written a number of um, research papers around social media within the workplace. And I was just mm-hmm. interested to know what you, what your thoughts were around how, whether you think social media is a tool that um, better supports people who are neurodiverse in the workplace or whether do you think it's a bit of an inhibitor because, I mean, for someone who's dyslexic until I started the foundation, I didn't have social media. I wasn't on Facebook mm-hmm. because I was worried about how I would um, explain myself in written form because my words get mixed up and they're spelled wrong. So how mm-hmm. do, you, do you see it, um, them as tools that can better support people that have got autism or dyslexia? Yeah, so I, I do think, you know, it's a mixed bag. I think technology, with, with every benefit, right, there's kind of this inverse of, of issues that it brings. Mm. So I, I think in, in terms of social media, I like the fact <clears throat> that there are tools that can help some people. I think um, one of the big things that's been helpful is, is social media and being creating awareness. Um, I, mm. I think that that's been really great because it's also been able to kind of bring people together who, you know, so the, the whole idea of even neurodiversity, right. And looking at it from a social model, as opposed to medical, it, it spreads a little bit quicker because you're able to get people who have the same issues or are looking for connections, right. It, it brings it a little bit closer together. I do think, you know, so I see one thing is, in social media, if you're writing things, some people who, let's say, are on the autism spectrum um, may feel better not being face-to-face and maybe feel more comfortable connecting that way. But being oftentimes more written text, that can often, you know, it, it can be, um, like as you said, uh, difficult <laughs> for those who had dyslexia. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, you know, it's, but in the other, but in another sense, if we were, if we go back to what you were talking about, filling out, having to write out the answers on a paper, if, if it could allow people to actually call in and give, you know, answers to these questions or voice, you know, take them in a voice format for people to hear, like that's, you know, that could be great in that, in that form. So I think it's a mixed bag. What, with social media, but I do, I do think one of the biggest things has been um, increasing the awareness that's been and getting people to, to get to their group, right. To, to help support each other. Yeah, definitely. I think, well, without social media, we wouldn't have an international following um, through Mm -hmm. Facebook or international following with people listening to our podcasts. And we have a closed um, support community on Facebook And when Mm -hmm. people call our helpline and they say, you know, feel free to join because there's lots of adults on there. But the first thing I always say to people is it doesn't matter how you write, it doesn't matter how you spell, you can just sit back and look at what people are saying or you can participate, Um, but it is Mm -hmm. a safe space because, I mean, it's not the best forum. And for me, ideally, it'd be great if we had time to set up 
these types of meetings where we zoomed in and everyone got to catch up face to face and in time hopefully mm-hmm. that happens but it's um right. it's been an amazing tool really but in that sense of connecting people um around the yeah. world and I could see for people that yeah, have autism, no, that would be useful. Yeah, no, and I, and you know, it's funny because I, I think one of the interesting things working with students all the time, right, was the younger generation, the younger generation, <laughs> is how they write, you know, how we write has changed. And it's made me realize everything that I've learned um, in my old English classes that, you know, the, the English language or language is living. So it changes. And so a lot of things that I would be like, oh, that's, that's not grammatically correct. Or that's, mm-hmm. you know, I realize, you know, that's, that's not the way we do it anymore. You know, mm-hmm. and that, and so they make up, so it's, it's changing. And so to say that, you know, that you have to be stuck to a certain way of doing things, um, isn't it right either. Right. No. So I think it's really kind of interesting. I love that language is living. That's a fantastic quote. I really love that. Because it's true, everything's becoming shorthand, yeah. or you know, there's all these acronyms now that I still have to ask people what they mean when they send it in a text. Yeah. <laughs> but you yeah. know, it is it is living, and um, it is changing. And for us dyslexics, I mean, we're so lucky we've got technology like this that can help us really in so many ways. <laughs> um. So, yeah. what would you like so to you see? Just... Sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. There you go. <laughs> No, I was just going to say, so I think that, you know, it, it's not even going to be looked at as maybe a mistake, right? Because sometimes you might put something and they're going to be like, oh my God, I just don't understand. I'm not hip enough to understand <laughs> what that means. Yes. As I often do when I'm... <laughs> We're starting our own language. My dad's, um, we're pretty yeah. sure he's dyslexic and he said um, it, that was such a kerfuffle instead of kerfuffle. And so now we're collecting yeah. all these dyslexic words that we use. <laughs> right. I love it. It's great. Um, so what would you like to see happen in the next five years in the workplace that would um, help to bring everyone along this cultural movement of neurodiversity that we're starting to see? <clears throat> yeah. I, so I think the biggest thing is the disclosure that we talked about. Um, I think that would be great. I'd like to see people be able and willing to disclose without the fear uh, a little bit earlier so that they could they could be successful or be helped to be successful, get the accommodations. Um, so that would be, you know, and I think that's, that's a tough one, but I, I would like to see that. Um, I think getting people to look at more of the social model as opposed to the medical model, which that will probably be longer than five years because mm. I think we've, we have things set up for a medical model. Um, but I really, you know, the, the whole idea of the social media, uh, that's really, uh, to me, that gives me some hope because I think that people are starting to really find each other and we can start hearing about successes and things that uh, are important that people, you know, like, it's not just me, right? That there's other people and, and I can see role models of success. And that also gets at um, the C-suite, like the, the CEO, CIOs, and so forth, um, being more likely to, to themselves say, I, I, ha- I am dyslexic or um, 
I'm on the autism spectrum disorder, or I, you know, I'm dyspraxic. And, and so that there's these role models that people can say they were successful, you know, and, and so I don't have to worry about disclosing. I think that would be a great thing is if we had more role models with it, because they're there. People that I've talked to at companies will say, you know, I know at, at our C level, there are people, you know, I would have openly talked to people about that they have dyspraxia or they, you know, are dyslexic and they haven't disclosed. Mm. And if they did, that would be wonderful for our organization because it would, it would show, look, you know, this didn't stand in my way. Right. We're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But people yeah. are just people. Right? Mm. So. That's right. So before we wrap up, I'm just, I meant to ask you this at the beginning. So I'm doing this a bit mm -hmm. back to front, but how did you get into this area? Was it just through working with your students on, because you're a project-based university or was there something else that kind of drew you into this space? Mm -hmm. Well, so when I was long ago as a doctoral student, I worked on um, a, web, a website quality measure. So how do you evaluate website and their quality. And this was back when the, you know, dating myself here, but this was back when the internet was really new, right? The World Wide mm -hmm. Web was, was new. And so, so then as I, I got my job and I was working, I said, well, you know, I just, I don't want to, even though I'm business faculty and that I don't just want to do something that helps um, business bottom line. I want something that really, you know, like if, when I look back on my life that I've actually helped people. Um, and so I started looking at what could I do with what I've actually done. And so I started finding website accessibility, which was really amazing to me because mm. it was okay. Well, nobody can even use my tool <laughs> if <laughs> they can't get to the website. Right. So that started me down the path of looking at website accessibility, then technology for people with disabilities. Um, and then a lot of the research now kind of looking at a high tech workforce, um, and just the idea that, you know, to look at things differently, instead of looking at weaknesses, look at strengths and to look at how being more inclusive um, would, would benefit society, right? And that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Um, and it just, I, I found that I really loved this area. <laughs> I really loved the impact that it could have. Yeah, well, we're very, very lucky that you're um, undertaking all this research. It's fascinating. And um, I've really enjoyed speaking to you about it and, you know, moving away from that group think and, right. yeah. um, you know, in building on people's strengths because it's such an important aspect of our lives, work and study and mm -hmm. um, the importance of everything you said tonight. So thank you. And thank you for sharing a bit about yourself and your journey. I really, really appreciate it. Is there anything else you'd like okay. to um, let our listeners know before we wrap up? tonight no I just um I thank you for the interview I really appreciate you know being able to share with you and I and, and I also really appreciate I wanted to let you know I appreciate um as we've talked about the social media and that um people like you and the Dear Dyslexic podcast being able to kind of make this people more aware and to kind of bring the community together so that it's it's um a power to be dealt with <laughs> as opposed to just people in pockets so yeah i really is, appreciate it thank you it is a power the more we unite i think the, the faster we'll progress in everything we spoke about tonight so thank you so much eleanor for coming on the show today well this evening and for sharing your research expertise and passion for supporting um, us neurodiverse 
and um, we will share your research and further information about you on the Do Dyslexic website. So thank you so much for your time. Great. Thank you. If you'd like to hear more about Eleanor's amazing work that she's doing, head to Do Dyslexic website. Also, if you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with all the work that we are doing at the Foundation. Head to dyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there's anything you've heard today that you've found distressing, you can contact Beyond Blue, 1300 224636 or Lifeline 13 11 14. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now.